Hello there ladies and gentlemen, hello there ladies and gents, are you ready to pod? Good. And welcome to another episode of Over Underrated with Fran and Babs. It is I, Fran, doing the intro today for the Dad Rock special. We are discussing Dar Straits and Cheap Trick, hence the introduction. Babs had her dad on previously discussing your vision. I dedicate this to my dad for Dire Straits. You may be able to hear him playing his guitar in the background. And it's also lovely to be able to discuss Cheap Trick for the first time in my entire life. But will it be the last time? So, please enjoy the podcast. Oh, hang on. Yeah, what are we calling this podcast? <laughs> Was it Over Underrated? Over Underrated. Sous Evalue. Welcome to another episode of Over Underrated with myself, Fran, and my co-host, Babs. Hello, Babs. How's Belgium? Are you in Belgium? Fran, I am not in Belgium. I am in Luxembourg. Once again, if you've listened to the podcast before, you know I've been here before. The very, very exciting Easter eggs we're providing on, uh, on my location. I would say come and find me, but please don't. Um, so it is international once again, but uh, not in the usual location. It is absolutely freezing here in Luxembourg with negative temperatures. How is it where you are? I am cosy in sunny Bournemouth. There's no yes. rain, there's no snow, there's just sadness and post-Christmas depression. Hey, <laughs> but at least it's not minus two, which is the weather, the temperature right now. Ouch. And at least we have music still. So Babs, have you had any time to listen to music? I have had time to listen to music. And today I was listening to an album that I think I discovered last year, but it's from 2020. It's called Blue Film by a band called The Tissues. Mm -hmm. They are an LA band. Uh, They say on their profile that they're a dark and noisy art punk quartet. So there we go. So they're definitely punky, but angular. And it's one of those albums where every time I listen to it, I'm like, this, this whole album is great. I really love this band, but I think because of the etherealness of Spotify, I forget about them and I forget about it until I come across them because I don't know, I'm looking for a certain term in my liked songs or something, but they are extremely underrated. They've only got 360 monthly listeners. So if Angular Punk sounds like your kind of thing, check it out. Right. What about and you? What, um, so I have purchased my first physical piece of music this year, Ooh. which is better than last year. And uh, <laughs> I have purchased the CD for the band Spectre, mainly because I know they're doing it off their own back. So, you know, I feel like I should give back to Spectre. Um, and it does cancel their tour because uh, Omnicron is still present around the UK. So um, I'm semi-enjoying it. It's not the best album, but having any album by Spectre is a treat. There we go. Fran can be your a and man anytime. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I pre-ordered the new Blood Red Shoes album, as per, coming out very mm-hmm, soon. That's mm-hmm. my first physical purchase that will not have arrived yet, but that's it. And today, ladies and gentlemen, our episode is with the theme of Dad Rock, a word I struggle to say. <laughs> and we're looking at an overrated artist we think is Darth Straits, and an underrated artist we think is Cheap Trick, we have made playlists and we will discuss the songs on the playlist and then at the end decide if you think Dar Straits are overrated 
or our cheap trick, underrated. And first, we're doing dire straits. So let's begin. Overrated. Tell me anything you know about dire straits. Not very much is the answer. Uh, I didn't even know they were British, Fran. I thought they were American. Oh, my goodness. Which, I mean, it's not... I don't think that... Okay, for a a music lover, maybe that's a bad thing, but they do ape a lot of rock that you traditionally associate with the US. So, yeah. And he does have a bit of an American accent. So, look, I'm only human. What can I say? (laughs) And I know the main hits. I think they're fine. But... We, you know, we picked them because they're one of those bands that are beloved by many. You know, I've got the Spotify stats at my fingertips. They're the 370th band in the world with 13.3 million monthly listens. That's a lot for a band mm-hmm. that hasn't made an album since 1991. And yeah, I think when you suggested dad rock as a theme, I thought, oh God, <laughs> because, you know, there's a lot of power chords there. And I was a bit concerned So I'm coming in, trying to keep an open mind, but a bit concerned. What you might find amusing, having virtually met my beloved father, Paolo Mendes George, is that I was preparing for this podcast episode next to him yesterday. And I said, oh, dad, just to let you know, I'm going to be listening to some Dire Straits now. And he was like, oh, God, Dire Straits. They were played incessantly in house parties in Lisbon in the late 70s and the early 80s. I absolutely hate Sultans of Swing and Lady Writer. And I said, OK, then, you know, you might you might want to leave for these sections. But <laughs> I thought that was quite interesting because I wouldn't say they were my dad's automatic loves, but for him to have such a visceral emotion was was very surprising. And I think with some of the songs on your list, you could definitely say they were overplayed, even if you might not think they're over overrated. So I need to find another word other than tentatively, but that's how I am coming into this. How about you? Well, um, I knew they're British because, you know, uh, I had heard Mark speak in his perfect Geordie accent. Oh, Geordie. <laughs> He's a Geordie. Hence why He's sting. a Geordie, but his dad is Hungarian Jewish, which I True. had no idea. Actually, yeah. I, th- I think, I think, yeah, I think that uh, English have moved to Glasgow and then went down to Geordie Land. Geordie Land. Uh, <laughs> the official title of Newcastle. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I have a father, shock, and being of a certain age, he loved Darth Straits because he was too old to punk. And mm. he is a guitar player and loves the fiddly sort of guitar actions of Mark Knopfler. So I believe I remember my father going away on his motorbike to see them a couple of times in London and then coming back and obviously being frustrated that he couldn't share any of his <laughs> fun with his children or his wife. Oh, yeah. and there's three of you, isn't there? So there are three of us. That's, so that's a shame. <laughs> and it's before Facebook groups. You just had to, to enjoy Darth Straits and then come home and, you know, feel the frustration of not being able to share the experience. Of, or uh, talk to random men in pubs, I would say. Yes. I'd go down that route. All that. But my dad, um, so because of this, I was subjected to Darth Straits as a child. As well as Paolo. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I, I didn't hate them. I, I remember he played a lot of Bob Dylan, who I hated because his voice was harder to enjoy. But I think because Darth Straits were more of a melodic guitar band, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't horrific for me as a, as a five-year-old. And obviously I remember Money for Nothing and being, you know, excited by the video because, you know, 3D animation. <laughs> I mean, for the time, it was really something, yeah. And that was like playing on like ITV. So, yeah. 
I always was aware of Dark Straits. I don't own a Dark Straits album. You know, all the songs I put on this playlist is because I've, you know, I just knew of them through my dad and mm. through, through the world of music. And I try to um, make sure the playlist was spread out across the six albums. Mm-hmm. Um, Mark Knopfler also did um, some soundtracks in the 80s, which I kind of put in the same bracket as Dark Straits. I think they appear on the greatest hits as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't, I didn't put in the track from Local Hero. With the da 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 da, da which is played before every Newcastle United football game. Ah, uh, okay. I, I, you saw my blank face. Like, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> no idea. There you go. It may just be a truly uh, British uh, thing. <laughs> I'm always surprised that Darth Drake, being the band they were, have never played a gig since 1994. Yes, really surprising. You think they would do like you know the 30th anniversary of Brothers in Arms or something? It's mad, isn't it? It's mad, especially like, so is it Brothers in Arms that's the eighth best-selling record in British history? Mm-hmm, yeah, 30 million albums sold. Mad. mad. And, you know, do you know why? I mean, I'm going to presume Frank. You've watched at least one documentary. <laughs> um, well, I think the reason is it's because of CD. So it was one of the first ever albums to be recorded on a CD. And mm-hmm. listening to Brothers in Arms, they knew it because, you know, that is an album made... Uh, or to be listened to it in posh speakers, you know, that is a stereo album. That was one of the selling points. Um, but obviously it had, you know, five big singles as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, what I find strange is like how popular they were from the start, because I don't think they're that commercial. Like the first two albums, listening to them again now, to me, they really sort of, like they're both like top five albums in America and the UK, which is kind of bonkers, to be fair, like... Yeah, was it the record label? Was it that they build up a built up a solid fan base through touring? Or I mean, I don't know because you know we're calling it dad rock. It is noodly guitar with other things going on in the background, and I guess this is what was the sort of round punk era glam rock and and hard rock was happening, but it was something a bit different. So did people still have an appetite? For it, I yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I, I'm curious. I'm curious as to why they're so big. I mean, they got signed really fast. I think they got signed within a, a year of forming. And, and people have said because of punk rock was so popular, the um you know the 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 older statesmen in the record companies were far more happier to sign a band like this who they understood rather mm, than a scary yeah. new punk band. And that's maybe mm. why they got signed so fast. And uh, I guess people of a certain age were happy to have this kind of music around again um, because they they understood it. You know, it had like blues references and folk references. So maybe there's a bit of that happening. Like it it was playing to the the anti-punk brigade a little bit, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Where I think that's it. All sorts of guitar rock was popular in in that time period. But the fact that they continued having that success into the 80s, like their sound does adapt and... There's some interesting things with pianos and classical guitars that we'll talk about, I'm sure. But maybe with Dire Straits more than other bands we've discussed, the songs that I don't like, I can understand why why some people like them. And I think it's a bit difficult to separate some of the biggest hits and be mm-hmm. objective about it because they're just such radio staples. But let's see. Should, should we get into it and <laughs> see what we find? <laughs> I started the uh, the playlist obviously with the Tunnel of Love from 1980s Mickey Movies, which was a, a top five UK album. And I only discovered it in the past 10 years and it became 
one of my favorites i believe at the start it's like some organ from is it the musical carousel is it something or oh i didn't know i i i just put unusual atmospheric beginning <laughs> so um it's about love affair in a fun fair and when he mentions the spanish city he's not talking about the country spain he's talking about a fun fair in whitley bay called the spanish city Oh, I see. There you go. Who's done the deep dive of the lyrics this time? I think it's you. <laughs> Thank you so much. So uh, in 1980, this is the third album, and uh, Mark Knopfler's brother, Dave, the rhythm guitar player, had left because of musical differences whilst making this album. And I think one of the main differences is that this album was the first album to have a keyboard player with Alan Clark. And as you mentioned before, it has piano on it, which is not... I don't think on the first two albums at all. The first two albums are very much like bluesy, rootsy guitar rock. So mm-hmm. with this, I, I, I've got a feeling of it, like the albums only maybe have like six songs on each album because they're really long. Um, one of the songs I skipped was a 14-minute song. I am delighted because this this is eight minutes ten. And, I, and when I started listening, I was like, has, has he done a Kent on me again? And I was like, okay, there's only one more that's H24, fine. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, you have to ask the question constantly, like, why does this have to be so long? But I guess with this track, they do use the time. Like, it does kind of have maybe different sections, and it has like kind of like two choruses. So the first chorus is when it goes, and the big world keeps on turning, burning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then later on, I prefer the second chorus is when he, um, you know, sings about the girl you look so pretty to me like you always did and that guitar and that piano and that hush vocal is just it's the best part of Tunnel of Love for me it's the second part I adore I don't know why I adore a Geordie singing in a hush vocal girl you look so pretty we all have our kinks it does something to me I'm not gonna lie it does something to me so do you find this uh oh oh and a fun fact for you fat lovers Leslie Ash from British TV is in the video of this song. Ooh. And interesting enough, so when, when they an MTV became a thing, Darth Straits were on board, but they cleverly hid the band <laughs> because they're not as that clear Duran Duran, Darth Straits. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so they have a lot of uh, sexy models in their videos in the early days to Ton of Love and Romeo and Juliet, etc. And again, sorry, sorry, Babs, you may have no. not no, liked no, this. No, 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 I, I am a fact lover and I want to hear the facts. Um, <laughs> so when it started, I was thought, hmm, okay, maybe this isn't what it, I think it's going to be. But then I called it the Dire Straits Guitars come in and I was like, okay, yeah, this, this is what I expected. I think this tells a story and I will give credit where credit is due Dire Straits paint some very beautiful images with their lyrics. Mm-hmm. It's much deeper than I thought it would be, and maybe a reason why so many people like them. You know, but he because... was a he was a journalist. He wrote for the Yorkshire Post as a, te- as, as a teacher. So he's quite an educated man. Like, so obviously, they're all quite old. Not I say old <laughs> for like for <laughs> rock and roll. I think they're all in their, in their late twenties when they formed. So they all had already had jobs, and he had he was he had worked in the university as a writer. So yeah, he's quite so interesting. Well, having just recorded an episode with Ryan from the Broken Record Player podcast about System of a Down, same with them. And mm. they have very smart, like, like Serge Tankin has a marketing degree and had like they all had careers. And uh, and I'm like, yeah, maybe it's a maybe it's a bit like comedians where having a bit more life experience mm-hmm. and, and seeing the world makes makes things cleverer. So this song, Tunnel of Love, definitely tells a story. And I like how it slows down towards the end and the classical sounding piano. 
it reminded me a bit of Outlaw Pete by Bruce oh, yeah. Springsteen. I think just because it's sort of, you know, an epic. But I, I did find it quite long. You know, I thought it was it was fine, but like I, d- I didn't hate it. But, you know, I listened to it once or twice and then I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm out sort of thing. Which but, course did you prefer? The big wheel keeps turning or the girl, you look so pretty to me? I, I liked I liked a hushed man, even though I have critiques. Sometimes he sounds a bit too hushed. On this one, he doesn't, and and I I generally do like his voice, um, which I hadn't really thought about. It's kind of weird. He doesn't really sing at all, really. Like he ne- for this kind of like I guess stadium rock bands that kind of became. You think of like a big like like a Bono strong voice, and he doesn't. He barely sings. It's, it's all kind of like you know hushed, or he lets his guitar. I was going to say, it's the guitars doing yeah. the talking a lot of the time, right? So so there we go. So moving on to Sultans of Swing. Oh, i never heard this before, no. <laughs> <laughs> so this, yeah, this, uh, when I got into like the Straits a bit later on in my life, I was kind of shocked this wasn't a massive hit because it's odd for like, what, 1978 mm-hmm. that this would be a massive radio track because it doesn't really have a chorus. Like The chorus is a guitar sound. Mm-hmm. You know, and well, I think it's that again. I don't think he really writes about himself at all. Like this is him apparently watching a, a crap band called The Sultans of Swing. Um, that's yeah. where he, that's where he got the idea from. And yeah, it has a introduction to that that the Dar Straits guitar sound. We instantly mm-hmm. know we can't really, really describe. Um, although I just watched a Justin Hawkins video, and he taught me that Mark Knopfler only plays with three fingers. It's, no. just a, it's just his thumb and two fingers. So he does that amazing sound, picking just with those three fingers, like, like, like a claw. Yeah, and, and that's his own unique style. So there you go. Mm. Uh, it's probably a song everyone knows. It's, it's out there. I don't hate it. I don't love it. It's just what it is. Yeah, do you know, I when I saw that you'd put some big hitters on here, I was like, oh, okay. But actually, it's, it's not a bad song. I, I agree. I think it was nice to listen to it in the context of preparing for a podcast, not, you know, something on the radio when you're expecting something you like a bit more, let's say. And I, going to look at the lyrics, I again, I thought like, wow, okay, firstly, it feels very American. I mean, just, you know, if we're playing some bingo, Dixie, honky tonk, um, you know, it ain't what they call rock and roll, the Sultans, they play Creole and that, I mean, come on. Like, I don't, I don't think, you know, having, having not done any research on them, no wonder you think they're, they're not British, even though they do talk about London Town as well on this one, fair enough. Yeah, but Sorry. I was just going to say, it's not a bad song, but it is, for me, massively overplayed. I guess it's strange because I guess they had no idea they'd be big in America when they did this. So, yeah, it's strange. Is it their first album? It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a break-free single. But, you know, having just talked about, um, you know, I talked about the tissues at the beginning of mm. this podcast. I was convinced they were a British band because it is angular punk. And I think you would associate that more with 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 Britain. But then you go and you're like, oh, OK, well, clearly these are the very British inspired band. Well, you know, the killers, even your faves, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, just because you're from a certain place doesn't mean you 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 sound like it. And they've clearly taken influence from the US. Yeah. And famously, Sparks, are, I think they've been uh, labelled as the best uh British band from America. So moving on to another of the tracks I liked growing up. This is Private Investigations mm. from Love Over Gold, their number one UK album. But by this time, I've noticed they are only just scraping the top 20 in America. So mm. it's, as they became bigger elsewhere, they became less successful in America. So this 
bizarrely, is a number two hit single. That surprises me. Because <laughs> this is not a three-minute radio hit at all. This is another epic. I guess by this point, they'd released four albums in five years or something like that. Mm. So they had a big fan base. And I think probably their fan base went along with them. They clearly sounded original at the beginning and continued their evolution by adapting to the 80s and adding a few synths and pianos. So maybe that's why. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't know how long it stayed in the charts. It could be one of those in and out really fast. Once all the fans bought it, that was basically it. Have you seen The Princess Bride, the film? Yes, I have. So he scored that, that movie. Oh, I didn't know that. And the guitar in this sounds quite like that score, I think, later on in years to come. Um, this is very much piano, percussion and blues. The piano is used a lot more than in, in the early days. Um, I guess this is another cliche stadium rock track with the sort of like the staggered piano sort of like riff going dun, dun, dun sort of a thing. It's got power chords. It takes about four minutes until the bass player starts playing. And yeah, it's another interesting lyric about a private investigator. We don't hear it every day in the pop charts, do you? I, I, I was thinking, I was like, is this the first ever song about a private detective? I don't know. Right, right, in it, let us know. <laughs> um, Fran, I love this song. This oh. was my favourite on the list. I thought it was another unusual beginning. Spanish guitar and piano, I wrote, is Chris Isaac coming out or something. Huh? Then there's this sort of Neil Tennant West End girl sort of rapping that he's doing and I was just like what what what's going on here again just I would have never guessed this was that straight if I'd listened to this I would have thought it was Scott Walker honestly even uh, the last part when it goes a bit stayed in rock with the guitar well no yeah no the 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 ending definitely is more mm. straight, but the the a big chunk of this song absolutely doesn't sound like that yeah. maybe that's why I enjoyed it more but I I think it should definitely soundtrack a film noir you know, Maltese Falcon remake or something like that. I, I yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. You can tell why he got gigs being a, you know, a composer around this time. Mm-hmm. And interesting, mm-hmm. speaking of private, do you know that he wrote Private Dancer for Tina Turner? No, a dancer for money. I didn't know that. No. So that it was going to be on making movies, but then he decided that you know that doesn't really fit his uh, his 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 vocal. So yes, he gave it to Tina Turner, and I believe it was a little bit of a hit for her, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, and he was the sole songwriter. I'm looking it up now. That's that's it. Oh my god, the album version is seven minutes eleven. Jesus <laughs> that <song>. Christ! Wow, <laughs> I did not know that. I, he also um worked with um Bob Dylan as well in, in the early eighties. Bob Dylan um saw them play, and he hired um yeah him and his drummer to play on a couple of albums. Little fun fact for you guys, there. Little fun fact. Well, you know, given that um you know, I've been listening to the Bruce Springsteen episode that we recorded. Yeah, yeah. I definitely got Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan vibes in, in this episode, let's say. I will I will mention them when they come in. So moving on to um, On Every Street, which is from their final album, the same name, in the 90s after a six-year break. And mm. people call this a flop, but I think it sold 8 million copies. So if that's a wow. flop, nice give, flop to have, give yeah. me your flops, please. Give me your flops. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't a great album. Um, Calling Elvis was maybe the the only radio song, um, but this is very much back to the uh, the mid eighties, Star Street Three, maybe Love or Hate. Um, it's got a lot of sax. It's got some lovely guitar parts, and I think this could also be from a film. Um, it's, it's got limited vocals, which is mm-hmm. what I like. I think this song would this song would be fine without any vocals. I, I just enjoy the car the guitar. Uh, what I enjoyed about this song was the orchestra. Uh, uh, I think there's like an oboe 
at some point and I was thinking god how how often is an oboe featuring you know so prominently in a song I thought this was quite Bruce Springsteen mm-hmm. and I thought it was less charming it was a less charming streets of Philadelphia as much as I enjoyed the orchestra I enjoyed the last third of the song much more than than the beginning it took me a while to warm up to it and it's interesting that you say you know it could it you know you would you would happily not have vocals because I thought the lyrics were beautiful have you have you read them they hit me the sacred and profane the pleasure and the pain somewhere your fingerprints remain concrete a three-chord symphony crashes into space the moon is hanging upside down I don't know why it is I'm still on the case it's a ravenous town and you still refuse to be traced seems to me such a waste and every victory has a taste that's bittersweet and it's your face I'm looking for on every street beautiful thank you thank you Mark thank you Mark I guess Very nice. after the last race broke up, he went down more of a country um, vibe. And, you know, I did so, read that. So they sort of like now to storytelling will work without John the music a lot more, maybe than. Um, I, I think I think it is storytelling. I mean, we've we've had guests on, we've had guests on who really enjoy a band for their lyrics, mm. you know, almost as much as their music. And we're just, what can we say, Fran? We're just cold-hearted people. Or, or something we're just <laughs> you're not cold-hearted I mean the thing is I, I actually I genuinely love reading and books and I enjoy a bit of poetry but when it comes to music just I I have other concerns oh yeah definitely I mean yeah a good lyric is gonna stay with me uh mm-hmm. I, I do I do have ears surprisingly <laughs> <laughs> however I would say the next song has some questionable lyrics <laughs> uh yes we discussed a little bit of this pre-record so this is a song that you may have heard guys um money for nothing and your chicks for free um yeah so this is from the uber selling a brothers in arms this is the big video the big production it's got sting it's got simps it's got headbands (laughs) it has that guitar riff which screams 80s and i've got money it's just interesting because it's a song about people like wanting money and it's kind of like mm-hmm. a piss take about them you know you, you don't need those things really but then on the other side this is a band who are making a fucking fortune by setting so some so it's like a, kind of an interesting contrast uh, yeah so narratively apparently he was in like a, a kitchen and there was two salesmen in there watching mtv and they're talking about oh why can't we be doing that and just playing guitar and getting chicks free and living the easy life you know and then in 1983 the uh on the adverts to to get cable TV so you could watch MTV, they'd have pop stars singing, "I want my MTV," and mm-hmm. that's where and that's why he got Sting in to do it. And he's singing it to the, the tune of "Don't Stand So Close to Me," which means that he gave Sting a credit on the single. Right, and I mean it's it's it is Sting singing on this song, which I didn't know. Oh, really? I didn't I didn't know before this? No, I didn't. I mean, it's that thing of once you know it's Sting, you're like, oh, of course it's Sting. But actually, because of I don't know all the all the overlay or whatever, whatever the more <laughs> I'm sure there's a more technical term. Mm. Um, I, I hadn't really paid attention. But um, yeah, and obviously they're both from Newcastle, and I think they sang it at Live Aid as well. If you want to check out, right? Check okay. it out, guys. But um, yeah, it's a it's a song that has been heard. A billion times. I don't. I don't hate it, and I know that there's some some lyrical issues, which I think Bounce is going to discuss now. Oh yeah. Well, I, I would say I think it's. I think this is a good song. I actually, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm less indifferent about it than uh, Sultans of Swing, and I think I'd forgotten 
about the weird extended beginning and the I want my MTV. So when you're listening to it, waiting for the guitars to come in and the microwave ovens and all that, you're like, oh, okay, this is really world building, you know? And, and yeah, the harmonies are great. There's a fantastic mesh of synths. There's horns, there's guitar, there's robot noises. It is, you know, 85 pure, pure eighties. And, and still with a, with a really good guitar. I think they, like I said, they're a band evolving with the times and doing it seemingly effortlessly. And yeah, this album was recorded in Montserrat. That was the fact that mm-hmm. I was like, oh, it's not nice, nice for some. So yeah, the <laughs> irony, of, I, I hadn't even thought about like, you know, it's a song called Money for Nothing and they, you know, went off to a lovely Caribbean island to record it. Uh, but yes, as Fran and I talked about, they use the F word a lot and it's quite shocking <laughs> because they use it quite liberally. Uh, the reason that's kind of given it's because uh, like as Fran said, it was a conversation that he'd overheard that he was kind of transcribing, right? Uh, and he, he's he's playing the oh, it's it's two different characters who were the salesmen in this shop. So you know you could argue that they're just playing characters, but I again, this is the eighties. This is pure AIDS crisis. That's just adding fuel to the fire, and they they're absolutely huge. I just think. How do I say this without sounding patronizing? People don't always understand irony, right? It, it's that thing sometimes of something, you know, if you're playing a character or being ironic, you know, I read so many tweets about how people are so woke these days that they have issues with characters and books and people are like, are you an idiot? You know, like what? So everyone and everyone who's in a book should just be a perfect character. No, that's not quite it. But when you're one of the biggest bands in the world and you're using the term over and over again, in the time where it's a population that's very highly stigmatized, it just, it really, it really hits home listening to it now. And you didn't have, like, you could have, you could have substituted it for something else. Like, I think you could have still made the point that they're making in the song without using the word. And yeah, that's my view. Obviously not, as a non gay man, I don't remember. I don't know if that's word has become worse over over the past 30 years. I don't know. I don't think so. No? I don't, I've, I've just seen Power of the Dog. <laughs> like, no, that that was never used. Uh, it was never. I I, it, I just think it's that thing of if you're not hit with it, it doesn't mm. really affect mm. you, right? I don't think that comes. The context is enough to to justify it. Basically, it'd be interesting. I'm surely Mark has been asked this question since the last mm. decade. I wonder. Yeah, I should have maybe of research to find out what he thinks, because mm. uh, I, I don't know if he really plays. I, I would imagine, I would imagine that he would say, yeah, it was of its time and we wouldn't use it now. Yeah. Like, yeah. We, we hope so, guys. We hope, we hope so. so. Whilst we're talking about Brothers in Arms, I did discover that until Adele's 21, this mm. had the longest run on album history in Holland with 269 really? weeks in the charts. Wow. The Dutch is... love a bit of Darth rates, guys. That doesn't surprise me, given some of their Eurovision entries. <laughs> I also can imagine, like you know, a Dutch guy wearing a headband more than other other nations yeah. for some bizarre and reason. The Dutch guys very often have long hair, like a little uh. cowboy hat with the hair poking underneath. <laughs> not? Sorry, like uh, we actually our podcast does reasonably well in the Netherlands, and we are sometimes in the Netherlands Apple shop. So we love you, Netherlands, and we love to be in the charts for two hundred sixty nine weeks. <laughs> <laughs> moving on, moving on to uh, to uh, making movies uh, track called. Romeo and Juliet was, um, I guess, is more, the second most popular song by Dark Straits, I assume. Really? Oh, do you not? Oh, okay. This is maybe this is a British, British thing. So in Britain, 
you'd hear maybe three songs and this would probably be one of them like so this was like from that era this was the big one i guess this also has the best video it's got a very stylistic video with lots of models and lots of like cool fashion lighting and and i've always been a fan i watched him talking about this and he got the uh the riff from getting into country music and folk music in the 70s and that's mm-hmm. how he learned that um picking style which is where he came from three fingers yeah and then yeah it's actually quite a simple song more than i thought apart from the chorus which it goes full-on like band juliet and then dun, dun. but in the verses it's kind of you know laid back just a beautiful sounding guitar and him you know telling the story of a modern day romeo and juliet with some extra sort of piano touches around the kiddos have, have covered this this is quite a good version um if you want to do some further listening it's probably my favorite song by dar straits um this is why i'm gonna cry tears of blood when Babs hates it. Babs, it's Babs's least favourite. <laughs> yeah. Um, because so Fran, you you put eleven songs on this playlist. And I was like, oh yeah, you've put eleven. Can you take one off? And you said, Oh, you know, I've taken this this one <laughs> off because it sounds a lot like Romeo and Juliet. And I was like, well, thank God he did. Um I, you know, with with love, I think this sounds a bit like a Bob Dylan slash Bruce Springsteen ripoff. Um, really, that's 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 what it gave me. And the lyrics are very nice uh, and the ending is intriguing. I, I put that, I think it goes in directions that you don't expect. But personally, I prefer Baz Luhrmann's retelling of Romeo <laughs> and Juliet rather than Dire Straits. I'm uh, sorry. I love it when he goes, you and me kid, I'm about it. And the guitar sort of. And uh, what you need is a hushed Geordie in your life. This is, <laughs> this is what we're discovering. You Just hop on a train to Newcastle and go and find one. Uh, you know, then, then all will be well. <laughs> I, I, yeah, so it's, it's, this is interesting, guys. Doing an in, in fashion podcast, we discover mm. that you know the songs that we think are massive uh, mm. el- elsewhere and never never played. So yeah, no. And I was, you know, so the the, the songs I knew from this playlist were only the songs from Brothers in Arms. Um, the next track we're going to discuss is the uh, album title Brothers in Arms. Uh, this is a single, bizarrely. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the video was. Uh, superimposed images of black and white Mark playing guitar with World War One scenes in the background. <laughs> okay, so I haven't seen the video, so this is an un- unusual one because he's in it. Yeah, oh, yeah, I think by then, obviously, he, when they did have him in the video, he'd always be him performing. He never did any, like, awkward acting scenes like other mm-hmm. bands had to do. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, there's a song by Simple Minds called Belfast Child. Do you know that song? Yes, I do know that child. And I yeah. think it's similar. And you know that child? I do know that song, sorry. <laughs> I do know that child. <laughs> Belfast. I do know that song. <laughs> similar in production. Uh, very mm. quiet with, with like, you know, some st- sort of like keyboard strings moving up. Again, we've got the strained vocals. I think other bands of that era would have had like a power battered vocal hit coming mm. in halfway through. But it's kind of, you know, it's just strained. And it was randomly a, a hit single around the world. And I believe the army play it quite often to this day. That doesn't surprise me because it, given it's called Brothers mm-hmm, in Arms. Mm-hmm. How do they feel about that? He's he's on board. I think when it was the um, 30th anniversary of, uh, no, sorry, 20th anniversary of the Falkland Islands, um, he re-released it. So Brothers in Arms, having just said that the only songs I knew were the Brothers in Arms ones, actually, I didn't know this song. I thought I knew this song because it was called Brothers in, Ar- Brothers in Arms, but actually mm-hmm. I just, it's the album. So I enjoyed the thunderstorm beginning. I do love um, hearing rain or thunder in any song. If I, if I had to be Okay, so here album. we go. It, this is what we need with Fran. Hush Geordie <laughs> and some rain. So you need a Hush Geordie and a rain stick. 
in mm. your house and then you know just put a face mask on sit in your bath you'll be fine it's, it's good to know get to know these things yes please <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that it was a big hit around the world because to me it sounds like some kind of celtic folk song with an electric guitar and i generally that seems to resonate with people you know people like and yeah people like cranberries people like whatever it is i belfast child yeah that's that's a good comparison and i, I like belfast child i yeah i wasn't a huge fan of this song but I didn't dislike it I thought I I actually it bothered me a little bit that you couldn't hear his voice it was a bit too hushed for me I I I wanted power ballad I think would have been not great either but just you know a little bit um louder would have been nice uh but the lyrics are beautiful shall I read them out to you again I think this is the only other one um if you can add a Geordie hushed vocal I mean, no, I can't. Uh, I can't do Geordie. I'm afraid I'm going to have to do my generic Southern English accent. But um, these mist covered mountains are a home now for me. But my home is the lowlands and always will be. Someday you'll return to your valleys and your farms and you'll no longer burn to be brothers in arms. Through these fields of destruction, baptisms of fire, I've witnessed your suffering. As the battle raged high and though they did hurt me so bad, in the fear and alarm, you did not desert me, my brothers in arms. Shedding it. So, yeah, looking at those lyrics absolutely doesn't surprise me that it's been taken up by the army but yeah i think for me this was you know mid a middling one on on the playlist i yeah i didn't i didn't love it but i didn't hate it so completely changing your direction uh <laughs> we're going to a lady writer from uh communique i believe it's called is that correct communique communique sorry communique yeah. from yeah. uh, 1979 uh this is a track but i kind of knew I wanted the time per song per album, and this is the only song I kind of recognise from the album. It's very mm. similar to Souls and the String. It is. Um, I've, I'm guessing, reading the lyrics, that he's observed... Well, this, this is how I think it. I think he sees oh, someone... Well, I, I looked this up, so I, I, read, I can um, tell you okay. what it is. But yeah. so I thought yeah. it's, he sees someone on TV, a lady who's now an author, but he may have dated in the past, and he's now a bit bitter and gutted that she's become successful and he's a falling star. That's how I kind of think was happening. Um, I quite like how he says, jazz singer, bizarrely, halfway <laughs> yeah. through. I where that come from and it's quite weird to have backing vocals at the end of it which doesn't happen in any of my Darth Vader's tracks so it's mm. you've heard it all before it's, it's a little bit naff it's a little bit you know um, uncle and auntie dancing at our wedding um, so yeah so what's your views on the lyrics so my view on the so on the lyrics according to a 1984 biography it was inspired by Marina Warner who he saw on a TV program and she wrote a scholarly book about the cult of Virgin Mary and the way that they've written this, I mean, again, this is the internet. For some reason, her appearance struck a chord with Knopfler, bringing back painful memories of a love that was no more. There's real venom in this song. And it is evident that any resemblance the talented Miss Warner bore to his former lover was strictly physical, which I'm like, okay, this sounds like a, a fanboy or fangirl defending them. Because when I first read the lyrics, I thought, holy fuck, what is this misogyny? <laughs> That's, that was my initial one. And I think the fact it's called Lady Writer. I'm like, well, no one says male engineer, right? Mm. So, um, so yeah, I, I, so I was like, okay, yeah, it's it's someone he saw who reminds him of of a former lover. Fine, musically, I wrote this is Sultans of Swing too, and it's fine. I think, yeah, it's the guitars are very similar. I wonder if it was, um, hang on, because Sultans of Swing, yeah, it's before, yeah, was it something that they wrote? They must have maybe written it around the same time, right? But having releasing two albums in two years, you'd you think it would just maybe would have been an off cut that they included on the next one. I I don't know. It was, yeah, it was fine. Yeah, it's just a bit weird why it became such a big hit because, you know, you, 
you think people would, would say, hey, we've, I've already bought this before, guys. You know, I don't want to <laughs> yeah. have the same song again. So. Well, 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 I think that some people do want more of the same. Uh, so, I yeah. Guess. See, um, Oasis. So, um, <laughs> so t- to another um, killer pop song, is this, before I, I go into this, is this played in Europe? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yes, it is. Yeah. So, yes, this was a, a big hit, I believe, in uh, for UK and especially in America. It is the walk. It is the walk of life. Yes, it is the walk of life with that cheesy keyboard riff we all know. And it's, I guess it's strange to have a keyboard as the main hook for a Dark Straight song because mm. Mark Knopfler is the composer. Um, apparently, I always assume this is about American life, but this apparently is about buskers in the London scene. And we, when he's referencing people, he's referencing people playing in London clubs, playing the old-fashioned rock and roll. He's like, that is the walk of life. Um, he said he does regret doing the woohoos. <laughs> Looking back. The woohoo. That one. The woohoos. Okay. Yeah, he does regret I don't mind the woohoos. I love and hate this, I think. I, I, <laughs> it, Interesting. It's, it's, there's a lot of eight, mid-80s keyboard naffness. You can imagine it's been played at American sporting venues at halftime. Um, mm. Apparently, this nearly didn't make the album because I thought it doesn't sound like anything else on the album. And I guess I know where it doesn't. But um, yeah, I thought I'd have to, you know, to put it on the playlist because it's such a, a big hit for them. It is. And Fran, I had no idea this was Dire Straits. Wow. So when it came on, I was like, this song? What? I <laughs> thought it was Bruce Spring. If someone asked me, I would have thought it was Bruce Springsteen. So shockingly, for saying this sounds like Bruce Spring thing, Springsteen and, you know, it's definitely like a country sound and has, I think the synth and pop sensibilities warm me to it. I imagine mm-hmm. it is that you mentioned this for for other songs, but I think this must be a fun one to dance to at a wedding, you know, do a bit of, you know, country dancing or you know, grabbing on by the arms and twirling mm-hmm, around. Mm-hmm. I, I imagine it's a good one. But yeah, I just, I was really thrown because, yeah, it's a, it's another song that's on the radio that I clearly hadn't paid attention to enough to, to know it was Dire Straits. But I, yeah, I don't, I find it interesting that you say that you love and hate it. I get it. But actually, I think I haven't heard it enough to hate it. You know, I'm guessing it's one that your dad put on a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. I mean, he even may have played it on his own keyboard with one finger um, on, oh, a crap, wow. on a crappy Casio from 1997. So, <laughs> you know, uh, flashbacks. So ending the uh, the playlist, I chose a, a live record because a lot of the fans say Dark Straits are best thing live. So I put on a track from Alchemy, which is their most famous live album, and I've chosen the title track from the album of Over Gold because it seemed very, very cliche Dark Straits. It's like a smoky, jazzy ballad mm. with a new expansive sound with like keyboards and, you know, beautiful instrumentation. Um, apparently this version is shortened down. The album version is like six minutes long. Um, yeah. But I did, I did that for your benefit, of course. Thank you. <laughs> I, like, I'm guessing it's about an escort um, with the lyrics like dancing through doorways, that kind of thing. Um, I did not look at the lyrics did here. You? Did you? No, I didn't. That's, I didn't quite, look, so... Yeah, quite yeah. seedy lyrics. But yeah, that, that album, Love, Love Over Gold, I think it's got five songs. I mean, if I'm paying hard money, I want more than five songs, Mark. I don't care how long they are. So... I absolutely hated the beginning of the mm-hmm. song. And now I was thinking, like, I'm guessing Franz put this because it's, you know, it's it's a classic or it's going to show how amazing they are live. And I was like, oh, God. But then the piano came in almost playing flamenco. And yeah, that's my kind of thing. I, I warmed <laughs> up a bit. So I, I really liked the piano flamenco bits. But I think his voice sounds like gravel, Tom Waitsy-esque. And I, I, I really didn't like it. 
And I like the gentle ending. So I feel like I went on a roller coaster of emotions for this one. So it wasn't my least favorite because I think, yeah, Romeo and Juliet was my least favorite. Here at least there's there's elements that I liked. But yeah, I thought, oh, you know, if this is like a straight slide, I don't think I want to go see them. <laughs> yeah, his voice is quite uh, gravelly live. And this is like peak Darth Straits. I've listened mm. to them in the past, him in the past 10 years and his voice is even more Tom Waitsy. Like it's got a version of him doing Romeo and Juliet maybe five years ago and it's mm-hmm. it's a whole different song um <laughs> I don't know if, you're, if he's a smoker or what happens um but yeah, yeah Mark I guess to be fair his voice was never the strongest part of the band but yeah I, I think they're better on the albums than they are live but I, I wanted to throw you know a, a live track to you to so you can mm-hmm. see the whole the full colors of Dark Straits so <laughs> After hearing 10 songs, having some pleasure and pain, um, what's your final thoughts? Are they overrated? I think they are overrated. I enjoy some elements of their songs and have very nostalgic memories for some of the others. But they are enormous, absolutely enormous. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, well, I was going to say, I don't think they deserve it. That's quite harsh. <laughs> but I, it's just one of those situations where I'm like, there are more, there are more interesting bands. I think the fact that there's clear country elements obviously is going to warm me, not going to warm me towards them. Although I, I do think they're quite smart in how they use the, the, the guitar. The guitar is excellent. The, the guitar playing is excellent, and I can totally appreciate that musicianship. It's not for me. I don't understand how it is for so many people. So overrated. Yeah, for me, it's interesting because do people under 30 know who they are they probably know i see you were saying what are the biggest songs for me the biggest songs are sultans of swing and money for nothing mm, yeah. i feel like they would know at least one of those money for nothing. probably not much more yeah so then are they overrated if, if a lot of the population hasn't even heard of more than one song but they're, but they're still so i mean i, I gave you the spotify stats. Mm. like okay sure we haven't seen the age breakdown but they are still like they have not released an album since 91 yeah. And they're the 370th biggest band in the world. They clearly have new fans. So, and you know, it's dads and granddads introducing new new generations. So yeah, no, I'm, you're, you're not swaying me with that. Absolutely overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I will say not over it because for reasons that I think the fact they've never done a grab the money and run reform tour, you've got to give them some sort of kudos to that most bands of their generation have done a 10 year a 20 year a 30 year reunion um so you know you got to applaud them for that i believe that some of the the touring band now tour under name for straights okay <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> sounds weird by itself i mean yeah. but surely mark Knopfler is the main reason he goes to straights um so to me yeah they're not overrated they're not underrated i if i if they ever did, you know, come back and did a tour, I would be curious to see them live. So I guess I can't think they're overrated. I probably won't buy an album. I think they probably are a best of band. They've probably got maybe 10 songs. Uh, eight of those are on this playlist that I like. Yeah, that, it surprises me then that you wouldn't think they're, they're overrated because, yeah, you know, do they deserve mm. all those accolades when they're a best of band? The nostalgia's too strong for you, Frank, and the guitar playing's too good. Well, really, my dad would my dad would, would hate me so much if I declared his favorite band <laughs> overrated. So, so for the sake of Frank's dad, fine, fine. Yeah, <laughs> they, they they sit in the middle, which I think is what we said about Bruce Springsteen as well, isn't it? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, similar. Although I prefer Bruce Springsteen to uh, Dark Straight, to be fair. Do you like music? Do you like podcasts? Do you like your hosts that are slightly eloquent with their words and well-spoken and articulate them in a perfect way? Then you can find two out of those three things on Pick a Disc. I'm your host Matt Latham and each fortnight a guest comes onto the podcast to talk about an album that they want to talk about for whatever reason they want to. We talk about the artists, we talk about the songs and we also talk about the album and we never talk about the artwork because I always forget. Other than that, we always talk about the good things and why people like what they like and you'll find that a lot in Pick a Disc. So find us on all your favourite podcatchers of choice and I look forward to finding out the discs that you're picking. Underrated. Welcome back for part two. We're now diving into Cheap Trick as our underrated choice. So again, I have created a 10-track playlist. Um, This playlist will persuade Babs to love this band, hopefully. It may, it may, it may not. Who, who can say? So, if you don't know who Cheap Trick are, they are a band from Rockford, Illinois. They uh, merged in the mid seventies, and then they struggled as a band until they bizarrely became big in Japan. And I think the phrase <laughs> big in, <laughs> the phrase big in Japan comes from this band. This is where, yeah, this is where it came from. So they were the first band to find out that they're fucking huge elsewhere. So they were setting and made three albums. Um, of middling success in America. They had supported Queen and Kiss and um, the Kinks. And then they were told that it might be worth them going to Japan because they're selling quite well. So they flew um, second class to Tokyo (laughs) and flew back first class because they were fucking massive in Japan, like Beatles style. Like they were not even allowed to leave the hotel. So imagine being in that band, like playing to 200 people and then going to Tokyo and playing the 15,000 screaming fans. This is insane. So the news trickled over to America and the uh, record label made a live in Japan for Japan only. And it became the biggest import of all time in America. So much so that the uh, American side released it to uh, an American audience and it went fucking massive and then (laughs) Chip Trick suddenly found fame and a lot of their earlier singles were re-released as a live version you hear on on Budokan Mm -hmm. so this is why I have four songs I think from that that album live Mm -hmm. at Budokan did you have any any knowledge of Chip Trick at all so the only two songs I knew by Chip Trick Cheap Trick going in were obviously I Want You To Want Me and which I knew was an unusual song for them, that it isn't totally representative of their, of their sound, and Surrender, because it's on Guitar Hero 2. Mm-hmm. This is all I knew. And going in, I thought, holy crap, they have a lot of albums. They have 20 albums. So that, in a way, must have been difficult for you to make this playlist, or you know, are you more focused on a, a few of them? So I made a choice, though. When I discovered that there's a big gap on Spotify. So like from mm. 95 to 2009, fuck all on Spotify. I don't know why. <laughs> so I thought, okay, in that case, I would just concentrate, concentrate in the first two decades because that's when they were at their biggest, I guess, you know, they, they started the eighties massive and the end of the eighties massive. I guess that's the, the peak cheap tricks. If, I, if you're going to sell someone the band, you'd probably sell them from 1977 to 1985, I guess. So I thought, they're not really a band that I like, you know, I, I find I want you to want me annoying. And Surrender, I thought was a decent song, you know, Surrender made me think, okay, 
maybe there's more to them than this and that's what I was kind of hoping to get from from your playlist especially when I found out that they had uh lots of different albums and I would say having this as the playlist yeah it is a little bit different to what I thought it was it was going to be comparing them to Dire Straits their lyrics are about seemingly nothing (laughs) every time (laughs) I'm like there's no point in this and they're still pretty huge they've got 3.85 million monthly listeners and released an album last year still so yeah what is the lineup like is it you know the the front man or not or so um apart from the drummer who was a kind of sacked and there's been lawsuits bubbling over so rick nelson's son is now the drummer Right. Apart from, apart from that, it's the same lineup from 1977. Um, the, Impressive. The bass player, Tom Peterson, did leave in 1980, but he returned in 1988. So, yeah, it's been the same mm-hmm. lineup now for 30-odd years. And, yeah, they make more albums in the past 10 years than through the 90s and noughties. So, yeah, they're really going for Incredible. it. Um, they rediscovered themselves. I think around 2005, they realised that we're a cheap trick. Why don't we be the cheap trick? Mm. And then they sort of went, went back to doing the sound of the late 70s and they've yeah. kind of stuck with that sound and that's why they've, they've gained success again, kind of. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, not, I mean, they're in the 70s now, so it's, yeah, it's mad how fast, it, how fast it, how, they're still touring. And I think they nearly died a couple of years ago, but in a Canadian oh. uh, music festival and the, uh, the stage collapsed whilst, whilst they're playing. Oh God! So they have survived death, and wow. I think 2016 they made it into the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and they brought yep. their drummer back to play live with them. So that's pretty cool. I discovered the band, maybe similar to you, Guitar Hero too. <laughs> yeah, bring it on, Guitar Hero. So I knew I wanted to, I I wanted to want me from you know um what's it called a uh, Ten Fingers I Hate About You the cover of course of course yeah that I think that is probably where I first heard this uh or maybe was it my parents I I, I don't know and I, I didn't realize by the way that the the famous version was live but it is the live version from Budokan no idea so if, if you listen to I Want You To Want Me the album version it's fucking naff as shit it's really cheesy and, and the band hates it as well mm. the definitive track of their biggest hit is the live version from Budokan so yeah, I knew I got into Surrender and that's what sort of like made me want to discover some more cheap trick. So they're an odd band. So they have two hot guys. The front man, Robin Zander, is your typical hot mm-hmm. rock front man. You know, he's got long blonde hair, a stunning voice, you know, and the bass player always has his shirt undone. And he's then Rick Nilsson, the guy who writes the songs, is you know a freak not a freak a freak in a nice way a freak <laughs> in, in a nice way, way. you in, know in like a, in a relatable way yeah yeah like geeks and freaks yeah and so he mm-hmm. he had like a a baseball cap on backwards around the cardigan and the drummer carlos um was it is it carlos bunny, bunny, carlos. bunny carlos looks like an accountant so they're such a, right. a weird band to look at and i think that's why japan liked them because mm-hmm. they stood out as being this isn't this isn't the normal that used to have like two you know two roll. two geeks next to two two hot guys so i kind mm-hmm. of that appealed to me and watching you know, rick play live he's bizarre he's constantly filling out picks every four seconds in the audience he's gurning the entire time dancing around and it just seemed like so different from all of his other cod rock bands from that era like chicago mm-hmm. foreigner it's like they have a sense of humor and, mm-hmm. it's, and, that, and that's uh, maybe because they're into british music so rick is a massive beatles file and um is that a word and yeah, the, the uh, band a, a beatles maniac <laughs> and they've even toured uh doing sergeant pepper but uh the entire album 
and obviously wow. they, they worked with George Martin. Um, Rick and, and, and Carlos uh, played on John Ennis' Double Fantasy. Do you know that? No, not at all. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I started to slowly discover Cheap Trick. Um, they became more bonkers as I went along, especially into the mid 80s. Uh, and Rick would have a, made a five neck guitar, which he would play with. <laughs> So is he, when people kind of make fun of rock stars with all their kind of, yeah, funky guitars, is is he like that archetypal frontman that they're making fun of? No, because it's all tongue-in-cheek. Like, he's right. he's taking the piss because he's a guy with a, with a baseball cap and backwards with a five-neck guitar, mm-hmm. and the guitar looks like him. And uh, each, <laughs> each neck, uh, his legs and arms. So it's not him trying to be cool. It's him taking the piss. And he said he would get more applause for his guitar than, than anything else in the set list. I've always enjoyed the the nerds you know i like devo of the same mm-hmm. era so mm-hmm. that, that kind of appealed to me um so yeah so i've just made a playlist kind of scanning the the 80s era i almost put on the flame so in the late 80s yeah. they had a, a number one mega hit with a power ballad called the flame mm-hmm. but it's not written by them it was written I, I just yeah i saw it so they, it's a british band yeah, so yeah. they were like near the end of the eighties. They're getting forced to have hits, so they're getting forced mm-hmm. to work with people. And so, although it is a number one, I think the band hates it, and it doesn't oh, represent okay. it doesn't represent Cheap Trick to me because you know <laughs> there's not a song. It's a bit, a bit like Aerosmith. I don't want to miss a thing. This isn't written by them, you know. It's uh, <laughs> it was it's that of that time. So that's why I've omitted it from the playlist because it you know, it gives Cheap Trick a bad name. You don't want to give Cheap Trick a bad name, as Bon Jovi sang. Yeah. <laughs> So they've also influenced loads of people like uh, Billy Corgan is a big fan. Flass is a big fan. Uh, a lot of people say that Robin's vocals influence grunge. I know I might shock you, but he can sing no. in a really gritty way when he wants to. I, I really liked his voice. I really, really liked his voice for on most of these songs. Yeah. yeah, so he can go from raw, rocky to pure pop in seconds, which is quite rare. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for someone with that talent, it's weird how they didn't stay big because he seemed to have the full package. So I don't really know why they only had maybe two three years being at the top of the game so mm-hmm. yeah so by the um literally by 1981 they had gone from having a number one album to a number 62 album i don't really wow. know i don't really know what happened to be fair but there you go well i guess yeah unlike dire straits i think you know sometimes people listen to you know people will buy records because that's the popular thing at the time and maybe that's the kind of band the cheap trick were, where mm. they, of course I'm sure they have a loyal fan base to be able to make as many records, but it wasn't as big and they didn't keep it up as much as Dire Straits. I will stop mumbling on about cheap trick and I'm moving to the playlist. So I started out as I had to with the track Head Over because, mm-hmm. you know, welcome to Cheap Trick. And it was simply written for soundcheck. You know, it's, it's, it starts off with drums, then brings in the bass, then brings in guitar, then brings the vocal. It's a perfect song for soundcheck. And it's mm-hmm. just, and then it becomes this beautiful, <laughs> crafted two-minute pop song with a brilliant, fast guitar style at the end of it. it. It's aggressive, it's hooky, and I think it's a great introduction to Cheap Trick. What do you think? So I mentioned that I really like his voice, and I think because I only knew I Want You To Want Me In Surrender, I thought, oh, okay, this isn't just just, you know, a pop a pop voice on a rock song there's mm. more layers to it than that i obviously had to deeply analyze the lyrics of this song which are <laughs> very very deep uh obviously um i wasn't a big fan of the tune but i did i could appreciate the guitar solo basically 
See, I couldn't get that that opening vocal out of my head for weeks. We've mentioned it already, but um, so mm-hmm. we move on to Surrender. On this version, you hear them introducing it as a next single. So although this is the best version at the time, no one had even heard it. And it still sounds brilliant. And you can hear the the screaming uh, Japanese fans behind it. So yeah, I discovered it on Guitar Hero. I instantly fell in love with it. It's some strange song about, you know, uh, thinking your parents are weird and finding out they're secretly cool when they're listening to your Kiss records and fucking on the sofa, you know. Uh, <laughs> we've all been there. Um, it's it's power pop. It's, it's, it's a pop song with distorted guitars, loads of drum fills, a really catchy chorus. And, you know, it's just an, it's, it's not an ordinary subject matter and they're not an ordinary band. And I guess this is another track of its sings out the you know, the, the the best parts of cheap tricks to to me and hopefully you enjoyed it and i know you do well i actually prefer the guitar <laughs> get out of town <laughs> yeah i i don't i just i don't know what it is so i really enjoyed the we're all right we're all all right sing-along section yeah. just before the end and the guitar and drum duels i think if there'd been a bit more of that i would have liked it but it just i think it's the harmonies the surrender surrender like it just made it sound so saccharine and so pop and I was like oh no like I I, I think because on Guitar Hero you're so focused on the guitar rather than the vocals the vocals came out too much for me in uh, in this live version so have you so listened back to the single version I have not listened to the single uh. version so I think that I, that's what I need to do and then revise my opinion but I because I was like okay yes this is the one I know I'm sure I'm gonna like this and then when we go surrender surrender I was like oh no what what's going on here so um who yeah who did Guitar Hero 2 was it something Activision Activision well done. maybe like, maybe <laughs> After they became quite big in America and they mm-hmm. released uh, The Dream Police, which was their last sort of like big album, they then got to work with John Lennon. And so they then asked if they could get George Martin because you know, if you're a Beatles fan, who do you want mm-hmm. to produce your next album? They then thought, why? You've got George Martin. We have to have strings because, you know, the Beatles are strings. So this mm-hmm. is the band at the top of, of the, the game thinking, right, let's make the most bombastic music we can before we're dropped so that's, to me that's what it sounds like unfortunately this is maybe the only song i like on the entire album i don't know what happened this is literally a one year from the dream police which is a great album so i don't know if it's burnout uh the bassist had just quit so he could do his own solo album so it could be like they're just being forced to make new albums and they, they hadn't got the material maybe that's what it is i also enjoy the backing vocal section at the end um but what about you so this was a very different start. Mm. And I thought, oh, hello, where are we? Then I, I think when his voice comes in, it really reminded me of, I just died in your arms tonight <laughs> a lot. I couldn't I couldn't get it out of my head. And it kind of gets progressively more emotional. And I wrote, it almost goes sort of sparks-like. I didn't hate it. I thought there was a lot going on. And I like the no more section breakdown and the stop section in the last third. Mm. But it's one of those songs that I liked I liked bits of, I can get on board with the construction, but as a whole, I, I didn't really like it. And I, I, you know, I listened to it twice. I think maybe I need a few more listens to to get into it. I think with a lot of few trick songs, you do need to give it a lot of listens. They do mm. kind of have more depth than you know. No, not my, <laughs> more, more depth than you think. Because like, uh, yeah, yeah. I think I Rick Nelson is quite an interesting songwriter. 
Um, so yeah, maybe give it. Well, I doubt you will. But <laughs> no, no, no. But I, I, you know, I well, okay, keep keep going and keep going. And I, so yeah, keep going. So yeah, like when you have a band, you have like a billion albums. It's like, so what songs do I do? Do I mm. create a playlist of my top ten cheap trick songs, which I haven't done? I thought I will just you know give you all the different versions of cheap trick, and then mm. in 1983 they teamed up with. Uber producer Todd Rundgren, mm-hmm. um, who also produced Sparks and created. Ah, oh, there we go. Yeah. And created uh, Next Position, Please, um, which is maybe their last interesting album. Interesting in a way that this is a band who embraced technology, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like Dire Straits. Yeah, like Dire Straits. And, you know, this is a very different band to the band who are saying, hello there, how are you doing, whatever. Um, so we have. <laughs> Whatever. We have a track called 3D, which although I know it was, it was a 50s thing, but by the 80s it had, it had come back, and there was lots of like 3D films like Jaws 3D and you know, mm-hmm. Jason 3D. So I don't know if that's influenced the tone, but um, yeah, um, the best part for me is when halfway through the song they get bored and they press every single effects button on the recording booth um, to change the effects including the robot, and then have some fucked up uh, electro tom-tom sounds, and then like, yeah. a ri- then like a wiggly guitar, <laughs> and then it goes back into the song. So it's a normal, decent um, pop punk, not, not, not pop punk, pop power pop rock track, and they seem to be bored, and then just go fucking berserk, and I love them for it. What are your thoughts? I'm going to read out my notes in order. <laughs> this is more my kind of thing, mm. rock in a minor key, I quite like the harmonising and whatever weird percussion is going on, plus all the effects on the voices, the weird synths, and how they mesh in the long instrumental section. Are they trying to be ACDC? This is my favourite so far, but I didn't save it to Spotify. It's under four minutes long, but they pack a lot in. So there we go. That was the journey I went on. Yeah, I didn't hear ACDC. But yeah, I mean, this isn't. This is just an album track, so, you know, mm. I, I, you can't find anything about this on the internet. But it, it's definitely, I was like, ah, oh, this is much more like it. Like, I guess... Not necessarily this, but because they were picked as underrated and because I knew that, you know, their most famous songs don't reflect their sound, I, I expected something more like this. So I was very glad when, when the song came along. Well, yeah, they have a lot of different uh, versions of Cheat Trick. Like, it's, that's why it's interesting, like, what in the mid-80s, when you are looking at similar bands, like, I can't imagine Aerosmith doing that can you really no. you know like, well no but i mean i don't know aerosmith enough really in the album tracks maybe maybe some would be more experimental i guess it does depend like how much commercial success do you want slash how much is your record company pressuring you to do it because i guess this was a time as we've mentioned in other places this is a time with more money and maybe more room to experiment mm. um and a band that was as big as they were just after their second album, maybe had the luxury to do that. I don't know, because, I mean, this this album was the first album the record company asked them to do a cover. They're, oh. And they were told to cover um, a song by The Motors um, called Dancing Night Away, and Todd Rundgren refused to even produce it. And they dropped oh, wow. loads of songs from the album. Yes, that's so yeah, that's, that's, a, that's, that's I find it even more interesting. Have I been allowed to keep 3D? Which is like... But maybe, maybe it was like, yeah, that was it. It was it was such a strong reaction against that that the record company were like, all right, fine, we'll keep the peace and keep the weird robot people on. Sticking with the same album, this is another uh, bonkers edition. Again, not a single. It's called mm-hmm. Invaders of the Heart. I think they're starting by playing My Generation by the Who. They are, yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's tongue in cheek because. 
the song right. has a similar vein to it. Like they never mentioned mm-hmm. it's, it's never mentioned in the credits or anything. They own the album, so I think it's a it's a piss take because they, they must have known this is a bit like the Who in it. So let's just show our cards that we know it's like the Who. Every time I meet the drummer, this obviously happens every day. Um, I <laughs> I used to go out with a the drummer. There we go. Um, for I eleven met... years. So there we go. Well, it's PZ Mohan best track. Um, I <laughs> mentioned this song because I had never known a pop song to showcase the drummer more than this. Like, yeah. It's absolutely fucking insane. Um, so it's a classy, normal pop song. But then for no bizarre reason, they uh, like fill it with as much drumming as possible. And then halfway through, I think it's Rick, counts to 30. And then yes. They, yep. It's obviously what obviously thirty. Why not thirty? And then uh, Carlos just goes fucking insane, playing his arms for like ten minutes. It then stops and starts again. And then stops and starts again. <laughs> and I love it. I, I, I can't stop listening to the song because it's also quite catchy. And it's never going to be a single because of the drumming. So they kind of hurt themselves a little bit. But I'd love to see this live, and you can't find it live anywhere. It's just sad. Oh, shame. Yeah, I absolutely love the drumming and I I love I love a drum solo. I think guitar solos are so prevalent. Drum solo is not enough. I I I put more of this please. Uh, and yeah, I put I can appreciate the drumming and the counting section with punk guitars, but I think the fact that it started with my generation riffing it's interesting that you say that it's meant to be tongue in cheek. Mm, I think it is. It made me be like, "Oh, I, I'd rather they'd have just continued <laughs> with my generation <laughs> because it's just not as good. like that's that's a classic epic song." And it's so, you know, 3D is, let me check, three minutes 37 and feels much longer, but in a good way. It's like, wow, my God, how can they pack so much in to three minutes 37? This was four minutes and it felt longer to me. Like it felt like a bit of a drag. Like, I, yeah, if, if, if I was writing this song, I would have taken out my generation. I would have just had some counting and some drums and made it like one thirty. <laughs> that's it. That's That's how I would prefer this song. So... So yeah, I, I can understand why you like it, but yeah, uh, I only like bits of it. Did the chorus not do any, anything for you then? Invaders of the heart. The not really, no, oh. I'm afraid. I just, yeah, drum solos, please. <laughs> he, is a, he is a really good drummer. And like, like I say, guys, check him out because he does not look at all like your average drummer. Um, to be yeah. fair, I did not see any live videos for, for either Dire Straits or, or Cheap Trick. And I'm sure I'm missing something. Well, the pro- I think it. the problem is, is like, with that big Japan album, obviously live footage in nineteen seventy eight is, is pretty shit. Mm-hmm. Um, I so the live footage of them is, is kind of like chat shows in the eighties when half the time it's only the singer actually doing a live recording, the band are miming. So there isn't enough decent footage of them live. Mm-hmm. And then by the time you do see decent live footage, it's like you know they're maybe in their late fifties, early sixties. So you think maybe this isn't right. them at the peak skills. Maybe so. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> moving on to tonight, it's you. Which again, I think is them um, kind of looking for a hit. It's probably mm-hmm. the most glossy radio song they ever made. And I, I think it's sad because I think it's a it's a, it's a decent eighties rock track it's got three different sections it's got like a soulful pop vocal which robin does great and then has like a, a rock bridge and then it has like a, a power pop radio for chorus with like a soaring harmony and it, it got somewhere but like yeah i don't think i don't think it even hit top 40 and i just felt i just feel a bit sorry for them because you know i think any other band who recorded this in like 1986 well would have had a big hit with it but cheap trick for some reason it's like they're blacklisted for some reason i don't i don't get it what's your thoughts 
Well, again, Fran, I'm sorry to say this, but this is my least favorite. Well, the, I, I thought it would be. <laughs> because, again, again, I will read my notes as is. Sounds a bit like Bon Jovi, plus the pre-chorus bit sounds like Abba's Mamma Mia. These are not influences I normally like. Key change in the chorus, no. I, but then, you know, to try and end on a positive, I said, I like all the different types of guitar sounds. Again, his voice. And the synth string section, I enjoyed. But no, just no. <laughs> Or cheap trick. Okay, so uh, next up, we're going back to Japan with Hello Kiddies. Um, this was one of the band's first tracks they wrote, I believe. It's kind of a bit glam rock. And, mm. you know, Hello Kiddies, to me, with uh, the same drum pattern as Gary Glitter, is, uh, has some warnings, <laughs> warning signs. Not one person has mentioned that. But I think, I believe the song is about Stay Young, because you're going to be old and die soon. So that's what that it's about. That makes sense, yeah. It's not actually about anything to do with... Schools uh, for fools, today yeah. money rules, and everyone steals it, yeah. Exactly. It's not about watching children. Uh, the end, <laughs> those comparisons of Gagler end here. Um, it's <laughs> again, it, it's uh, a Carlos <laughs> masterclass. I loved his drumming. I loved uh, the raw punk sort of like live uh, vibe and the buzzsaw guitars. And again, it shows, you know, Robin's versatile vocal. What are your thoughts? One line, sinister punk, and I much prefer it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I really like this song. I didn't, I still didn't, I still didn't save it. I haven't saved a single song yet. I, I enjoyed 3D, but uh, I didn't save it. You have to wait to the end to see see if I do. And I, this one, I think, yeah, of all the songs, it's the one that seems to be about something. <laughs> a lot of their songs do not seem to be about anything. And it's interesting that you say that, yeah, they like British music because Hello Kiddies sounds exactly what a British person would say in, what, was this 77? Yeah. Like, right in, right in the thick of punk. Clearly, they were influenced by that, but that fell away a little bit later uh i i really i really enjoyed this and i really enjoyed it being live we could you can feel the atmosphere and you can feel his charisma thank you so i did find one track from semi-recent times although it's not available on spotify which is a give it away from the 2006 album rockford which is their hometown and i believe it's called that because this was like i said a return to their earlier sound this is back to the uh, aggressive pop music they wrote back in 1977 um, and then i just enjoy the rick pitch bending guitar riff like he's still got ideas you know 30 odd years later it's fairly formulaic chorus but this album got great reviews because i think people are just happy about the cheap trick they loved as kids had finally returned after having some, you know, some interesting tries in the 90s <laughs> felt quite badly. So what's your thoughts? Well, yeah, I think it, it, it says on their Wikipedia that um, over the course of the band's career, they've experienced several resurgences of popularity and mm. build a dedicated cult following. And you can tell why, because they they have a sound in a way that, yeah, it's, it's you know, fans of a certain era will find something they like within the Cheap, cheap Trick discography. And I mean, this this wasn't one of my favourites. I wrote that this is pop punk and that's not a genre I normally like as previously discussed, but I think it's fine but forgettable 
but impressive that they're still making music like this. You know, I, I can appreciate that. And yeah, I was going to ask you, I don't know if you've, uh, if you've heard it, like how are their latest albums, including they have a Christmas one called Christmas Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> so how do you listen to it? I have an alternative Christmas playlist and their Christmas song so is, on, is, is on there because it's actually quite decent. But um, right. this is very much what they've been doing for the past 15 years. Like they, they now have this more modern version of the 70s era and it's perfectly fine, but nothing really excites me as much as the first four albums. Um, but yeah, it's a, a bit like Duran Duran, to be fair. Duran Duran were bands who constantly wanted to be a new Duran Duran, then kind of ran out of ideas and, and now gone back to being Duran Duran from 1982. That mm. seems to be what they do now each album. Personally, that doesn't excite me, so I don't really care anymore. But mm-hmm. I think if you were a Cheap Trick fan and you like having you know, the same delicious breakfast every morning, then this is for you. Um, <laughs> personally, sometimes I don't want to have the same thing again and again. So but there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's fair. So moving on to, um, yeah, I think so after the uh, the surprise success of Budokan, this was the, the next studio album, which is called The Dream Police. So again, it had bigger production because you know, the, the label were now confident. And mm. um, I didn't give you the two big singles because uh, The Dream Police was a big single. Um, but I don't think I would have known them, though, if you had. So this is, I think, that maybe the fourth single from the album. It came out in 1980 because I think it's the best single from the album. Of it, it wasn't a hit. It's got a bit similar to "Stop the Game." It's got a bigger production with now an orchestra behind behind them. The verses are rocking, mm-hmm. and the top line, of course, is is pure power pop. Um, mm-hmm. I get, but again, you know, this was the start of. Of, of the commercial fall and I don't really get it because you know I've listened to a lot of music from like 79 and this doesn't seem to be you know doing anything wrong for me personally so this one took me three listens to have an opinion on I didn't I didn't know what I thought because it was a little melodic but I really liked the dueling guitars and the strings and in the end Fran I decided I liked it oh win but it, it was it wasn't immediate and I think it was the least immediate of the of the songs that you picked like the ending with the uh I do like the ending. Yeah. The no, I it just I like it was the chorus to me that I didn't like as much. It was so yeah. But yeah, again, it's just weird why it wasn't a hit. Um so ending the playlist, there's only mm-hmm. way, one way to end it, and that is with saying F V the Same. Um live from the Budokan in 1978. Mm-hmm. This is interesting lyrics. <laughs> oh yeah, well, I'm sure we'll get into- so, you know, um, this is actually a B-side to Surrender, interesting enough. But oh, this, right. this is the dark, gritty sound of hatred from Rick Nilsson telling someone, you know, to fuck off in many different languages, many different ways, <laughs> and to even yeah. even commit suicide, maybe. Um, I don't know if it's tongue-in-cheek. I don't know. I tried to find an interview to see what he means, but I guess because it's not a single, no one really asks him. Um, but mm. yeah, this is as dark and as rocky as they go, which is maybe why Anthrax have covered it. Uh, there you so, go. Uh, Anth- Anthrax are one of those bands. I could not name you an Anthrax song. I, can, I, have, no, I, I have no I idea. I can now song name this song. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's the only one you can name. <laughs> so yeah, so what do you think? Thank you for leaving the best till last. Oh, yes, dirty, I cheap trick. Abs- <laughs> you know me. Like, you know, someone's being unhappy. That's that's what I want to hear. I love this song. I saved the song. I put scuzzy, unhappy guitars and great drums. Love his voice and his pronunciation as well. Love all the all the things in all the different languages. Like, 
is there more of this on Cheap Trick, please? Because I would I would love to hear more like this. What what songs? Yes. Would you uh, say? Well, just listen to that. Album. Listen to Live in Budokan because that is as okay. rocky um, as they went. To be fair, I okay, think okay. I, I, I've never not Damn done it. it. Come on, Cheap Trick. <laughs> uh, yeah, what is quite interesting is like for a band who became famous for a live album, they haven't actually made another live album until like 2002, which is bizarre. Mm. So I would, that's why I'm always trying to look for them in the 80s, like live and anything I can find is fucking chat shows where they're not going to be uh, right. able to do this. So yeah, so just check that album out and they have got some more grittier tracks. Um, but yeah, not as... Uh, not enough, I guess. This is as dark as it went for. As it gets, yeah. I mean, come on, like, I, yeah, please, please, you know, the person equivalent of Spotify radio, can you please send some over or something? Because, yeah, this, I was like, yes, thank you. Like, and I think because, because the guitars and the drums are so good, I, I, I just felt like it was a missed opportunity to not do more of this because whenever there's dueling guitars and an opportunity for a drum solo, when, I guess, yeah, I guess I just like aggression. What does that say <laughs> about me? I don't know. I'll have my existential crisis after the record. I, I loved it. I hope you'd like this and Ella Kiddies because mm-hmm. that's, that's them at the, the rawest. Um... But three, 3D. 3D oh, was, uh, was was the, the one that I like. But yeah, the lyrics are really crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there are many hiromongas who feel their lives as a joke. And for you, we sing this final song. For you, there is no hope. Suicide, suicide, suicide. So yeah, I, I wrote, did it cause controversy at the time? But sorry, hang on. But like you said, it was a B-side, right? So I guess there wasn't... Yeah, so, so, it's, it's, on, it's on the album as well. But like, imagine 15,000 screaming Japanese girls while singing this song to them. Yeah, I mean, I messaged you about this, but Stromai has just released a song called L'Enfer, which means hell. And he did this very touching performance of the song on the French evening news mm. where they were interviewing him about it and suddenly the camera cuts to he starts singing he looks directly into the camera and then it turns into this weird performance where the camera's rotating against his background and he's singing like directly into your soul and the lyrics are about him having suicidal thoughts and I was like I much prefer that <laughs> to, to uh people going like fucking well well I mean freedom of speech of course they can write songs like this you know like I get it like when you when you feel there are people I'm sure that I felt such hatred towards that I'd be like yeah go fucking go kill yourself but yeah it does feel very in in your face and unsympathetic for sure (laughs) but yeah they for me they get away with it because the music is so good my actual favorite song is southern girls which I haven't included um so that's my further listening yeah listen to um Life in Budokan, the 30th anniversary version. And I'm sure you'll find some other dark, angry mm-hmm. moments by Cheap Trick for you to enjoy. But as I said, you know, I thought I can't keep it to one live album. I need to spread out yeah. the song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, we, we, we went through a journey together, friends. We did go through it. Yeah. So, Cheap Trick, <laughs> I'm guessing you don't think they're underrated. No, I don't think they're underrated. Given given how popular they are and how caught I, they are, I... I wouldn't I wouldn't say that necessarily overrated. I'm glad to have discovered a different side to them and will be checking out all the gritty rocky elements. So thank you, Fran, for for introducing me there because honestly, when when Dire Straits and Cheap Trick were proposed, I thought, oh God. <laughs> so oh I, God. I thought I was hoping you'd enjoy Cheap Trick. Um, I knew mm. you'd hate Dire Straits. That's why I've, there's, there's a sense of sadness. Again, I didn't hate Dire Straits. You know, yeah. I, I appreciate private investigations. I saved like 
for sure I will be listening to that and and trying to find similar. I think it, it's very rare that I dislike all the songs from from a band, especially when we have a ten track playlist. Um, but yeah, I, I'm you know good good on Cheap Trick. May they keep making money and making people happy. So for me, I enjoyed maybe a year of discovering the album slowly and. Again, I like Underdog and the fact that they burnt bright for just two years and then struggled for so many. I kind of felt, you know, I, like maybe this is like my life in many ways. Too trick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and, I, and you know, I, I, I find uh, a rock band with a sense of humour a, a rare thing, you know, like Sparks, yes. for example. Yes, again, I keep bringing them up, but System of a Down can only get away with talking about the fucking prison industrial complex because they also sing about having group sex on the same album. Yeah. And unfortunately in, in the music industry with this, they kind of like scoff bands of a sense of humor. Like you, you're not supposed yeah. to be, like you're not supposed to be funny. So you're either mm-hmm. weird Al Yankovic or you're, you know, Led Zeppelin. You can't have a sense mm-hmm. of humor and also be, you know, critically acclaimed. It's, it's a bit mm-hmm. sad. Yeah, I agree. But yeah, the first six, seven years of teacher, I find yeah, very interesting. So therefore, to me, they're underrated. But I understand that not many people like them, and this will be the last time I talk about You say not, not that many people like them. <laughs> In the UK. Have... Maybe UK, maybe UK. Yeah, because they do have 3.8 foot. Hang on, let's go, let's go look at the breakdown of but the is it, but is, Again, is that just those two songs? Like, It'd be so, it'd be so cool if it told you how many, how many people listen to the albums. So yeah, it absolutely is I Want You To Want Me In Surrender mm. uh, dominating. And The Flame is third at 65 million plays then ghost town then mighty wings and dream yeah dream police and the different version of the flame and then if you want my love and don't be cruel those are the top 10 and if you look at the oh yeah so a very interesting list of top cities number one santiago in chile number two mexico city in mexico number three sydney australia number four la number five brisbane australia interesting so, australia okay I think there's a lot of rock bands that are huge in South America and I think Australians are more musical than perhaps people give them credit for because there's lots of artists that are not Australian that are really big in Australia when Mm. when you look at the Spotify statistics. So yeah, Cheap Trick, maybe not underrated. Dar Straits, maybe not overrated. Let us know. And Fran and Babs are always here to discuss your dad rock needs. Anytime, anywhere, hit us up. <laughs> um, any final thoughts? I was slightly dreading this episode. I was slightly dreading that it would just be 20 songs that I didn't like. And it was much more nuanced than that. So thank you, Fran, for continuously expanding my musical horizons. Beautiful, beautiful. I'm, I'm, I'm pleased you have uh, experience. That's a phrase. Uh, <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> thank you, Jimmy. <laughs> And on that bombshell, I would say goodbye. Thank you for listening, guys. And Auf Wiedersehen, everyone. Oh, yeah, of course. Auf Wiedersehen. And, uh, don't, don't commit suicide. Don't commit suicide. I was about to say see you next time, but, I mean, it'd be odd if I was looking at you. But <laughs> if that's a way to get more listeners, I'm, I'm available. I think this is our best ending yet, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> Ta-ra! Bye! Goodbye now, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you get the idea. So thank you for uh, listening to our Dad Rock special. Do you prefer Dar Straits or Cheap Trick? You can let us know via the amazing world of social media. We are over underrated music pod on Instagram and OU 
Music Pod on Twitter. So give us a follow, subscribe to this podcast, and get in touch if you have any themes or even if you want a guest on the podcast. It has been a pleasure to be listened to. Thanks and have a lovely day.